It's a pleasure to have you here. Can you please introduce yourself and share a bit about your background? Pleasure is mine. Um, I'm 29. I've been into security, I think, for the past seven, eight months, something like that. I still have a full-time job. I'm working like uh, as a manager for, I manage people, developers, let's say that way. I mean, I am a developer myself before that. And how did you end up with Free Security from being a manager? What brought you in? Like, how did you find out about this field? Yeah, why I'm into security, I, I don't know how to phrase it. When I got into management, and I still love that, don't take me wrong, but you just have to deal with a lot of stuff that's not controllable by you. And I still miss contributing and breaking stuff on my own. I probably took that decision too early. I still want to do a lot of stuff on my own. That's the best way to, to phrase it. So yeah, I just needed to keep myself busy as like, I cannot take like the most fancy features where I work at because obviously I'm going to be the bottleneck because nobody's going to wait me for like all the meetings that I have and non-technical bullshit that I have to deal with. But uh, yeah, and maybe another thing is that I am, I'm rather competitive and ambitious and it's, it's tough for me to swallow that people I work at do not share the, they have the potential to do that, but they do not share the passion, which is not a bad thing. That's a problem with me and my expectations. That's perfectly fair. It's just that a good example is why I love, I, I was initially, I was thinking I'm in love with security. And I, in fact, I love security, but I really, what I really love about it is like the, the competition, the leaderboards, for example, private audits are nice. You have like, I'm making very good cash, but they're not as fancy or like motivating for me than competitive audits. That's probably a reason I'm going to slow down the private audits. I'm just booked for like the next month and a bit. And from then on, I'm just going to do some code arena because that's where my true joy lies. Right. That's so interesting. So for you, the competition itself is the major driving factor. So yeah. like you want to win and that's it. Yeah. I, I want to win and I like feeling, it's weird to say it, but I like feeling miserable when I see like I didn't do a good job. I, this space is very good at giving you reality checks. Like you suck, you need to do better. And you cannot slow down. Other people are going to get ahead of you. So that's probably the, the first thing I like about security and what got me here. Yeah, that's super interesting. When you started, not that long ago, yeah. you, I remember you're reading a lot of reports. Yeah. And now I imagine you're doing something entirely different to keep progressing your skills. Can you... Talk a little bit about what was the change in your mindset, the things you were doing when you got started and the things you're doing now. Awesome question. I, so what I did when I was getting started is like, I thought, oh my God, that's super hard. I mean, these guys must be like great hackers, which of course there is that portion of the game too. But in fact, like a lot of the vulnerabilities or bugs, whatever word you try, you want to use for them are logical errors, like bad state transitions, which are a very rare occasion is going to be like a finding, which is the level of paradigm CDF, for example. So I was like, I need to prepare myself the best I can. So when I get in, I'm going to be able to like do a good job. So I was, it's fair to say I wasted more time than needed in like doing too much CDFs. I completed like, Either not, damn vulnerable DeFi version two, version three released. I completed the two, capture the flag. A lot of, I think it was Mr. Your Crypto. A lot of, I mean, a lot of CDFs. If I take the time back, probably it made me happy at the time, but probably slowed down my progress to some extent. And I read like reports mindlessly. I was, I like, if I reflect on it right now, it's building a bot in called arena. Like you check the vulnerabilities that are found by 10 more people and you try to pattern match them after that. 
I guess that's fine for building confidence. Like, yeah, I found that one. But in terms of value, I think one, whoever that has barely, I mean, if you have a developer experience before that, just weren't solidity in, in getting into contests. And like, if you want to read reports, read the report of the contest you participated in. And for fancy hacks, Open Zeppelin it has a, a, a list of vulnerabilities, the findings of the year, etc. Immunify write-ups. If you want to read fancy stuff, go there. Or like real-world exploits. You know, we have plenty of these. Right. So you just said that reading the reports built your confidence, but didn't help you progress as fast. So when did you start noticing a shift in how fast you were progressing? What did you do differently? I practiced. That's it. I mean, I practiced. That's pretty much it. I I had a huge issue with like code bases, like huge code bases. Even though I've I've seen huge code bases, like different things, like oh, that's ten thousand lines of code, code base. These guys are let's say GMX, Notion, or whatever. I mean, they must know better, and they know good enough to, to a good enough level but they don't know enough to have everything set in stone from the first iteration yeah and huge code bases have room for more errors as well right yeah, yeah. and how did you manage to tackle that challenge of being able to handle big code bases I don't, I mean, the best way to say it, I just kept feeling miserable every single day I practiced and I got over it with time. I don't think there's a replacement for that, unfortunately. Just grind through it. That's pretty much it. I think that's a perspective that we don't hear people talking about often enough. It's all about, it's always all about the payouts and finding the the exciting bugs, but rarely you hear people talking about just the miserable times where you're just grinding it out and you just have to suffer through it. Yeah, I think I asked, I don't know, maybe last month I was, I think I, I've read something somewhere or written or, or, or listened to a podcast. I'm not sure where I heard it. Somebody was like, I get that he could audit like two, two, 200 and swag an hour. And I was like, how do they do that? And Alex was like, pattern matching and you get it good at that by grinding it out. That's that's pretty much it. I mean, there's no shortcut or other answer about that. Yeah, I think a lot of good security researchers get a lot of DMs asking, how do I get good at auditing? What is the best way to get good at auditing? And it's, there's no rocket science in that sense. You just have to practice, right? I'm trying to find my conversation with a guy. I don't know his Twitter. I think is Fate, something like that. I think he works in Sigma Prime. Yeah, here he is. So I think I've never mentioned that, but I just got to my mind. So I'm looking at my chat February with him is like, how do I overcome like the anxiety? And he's like, you just get in the rip that you just get in the reps until it becomes easy. And you serve yourself finding vulnerabilities like all the others. And <laughs> I just probably followed that. That's, that's, that's so, I mean, conversations like that helped me a lot. Like just because I talked through them, I'm just like that. But yeah, I know it makes sense. So would you say that one of the biggest pitfalls for beginners is to try and reading too much content and doing too many CTFs and not practicing enough? Yeah, I would say that definitely. <clears throat> Another good example also is like, or a good point. I, I think it's also the kind of everybody, not only like only beginners, but me at some point earlier too, assumed, for example, a audit that had a product, a protocol apologies that had, a, let's say five audits before that is going to be kind of bug free. That's pretty much 
I think never the case. And actually, if you find a vulnerability in a contest that the protocol had like five audits before that, if you find one, it could be like a soul finding. And I think I just saw Luxo's contest, the top guy, I, I think he got like 44K and the contest had just 10 medium risk findings and eight of them were unique. So oh, yeah. yeah, that's hectic. Yeah. <laughs> and they had like plenty of audits, even trust who is absolute legend, uh, audited them, meaning there's always stuff to to come after. Yeah, it's important to remember that all audits are timed down, right? Yeah. So there's only a certain amount of vulnerabilities that you can report given a certain amount of time. And depending on the code base, there's just not enough time to track all of them down. Exactly. And even after the fixes, there might be new ones. So there, there's always things. Absolutely. I mean, agreed. What is your auditing approach like at the moment? Oh, I went through, I don't know, several iterations. I was asking and reading everybody, how do you do stuff? So I tried like diagramming, top-down, bottom-up, user flows. And I've settled with, with two approaches, depending if it's a, a contest or if it's a private audit. So if it's a contest, since it's like limited, for example, it could be four 4,000 lines of, of code for like five days or seven days, something like that. And coding is a norm. You can't go through all that. So if it's a contest, I pick the most juicy parts that money flow deposits rewards any anything that could lead of, to some kind of loss and from then on i just follow up a flow and only go through it keep in mind i haven't really applied that i only participated in like two contests the past i think two months and it was like a very limited amount of time no more than six eight hours of contest i was just trying to try that approach because I tried it in private and private audits for now. Whereas in private audits, I first go top down to get myself comfortable with the code base. I identify where I want to dig deeper and like start digging these user falls. I just draw them and follow them pretty much individually. And what do you mean exactly when I say top down? Do you mean first you go like you have a rough general sense of the code and then you dig into more specific parts of it good question and, and definitely it's clarification i just opened the file let's say and go line by line from the start of the file to the end of the file note stuff like i heavily take notes in the instead i i don't like the audit like tags everybody uses the inline bookmarks i I use Miro for a lot of stuff, so I take my notes there. It's a long story, we can go over that too, but yeah, I take a lot of notes. And then when I finish with going through one by one by each file, I, I'm like, okay, I wanna go through these five flows in the next, let's say, two days, just an example. And yeah, that's I think that's what I mean by top-down. And by individual flows, I have two two twenty seven inch you know, monitors, but they are still not enough. When I, for example, want to drill down from the start of a function call to the bottom, right? So, if I open all of these with like VS Code windows, it gets super tight. I just have to constantly scroll left and right to see where I am. So what I do is I might sound crazy, but I just copy the code into Miro and that kind of function, let's say. And then I order them like a trees, like the function call and like the, the one that's after it goes down and I just order them like that just makes way more better sense for my brain. And yeah, that, that's why I take the notes in Miro because it doesn't make sense to go back and forth with VS Code all the time.
Yeah, I think it's a really cool approach to sort of like make your your own tree basically. You just yeah. like get his execution flow and you, yeah. you just make like so you can yeah. read it like in one go. Yeah. And while doing that, do you usually do it as you read or when you're looking for flows? How's your process of note taking? Yeah. So let me just try to order it in my head first. So I don't do it the first time I look at the function because it's essentially going to be doing two times, two, two things at the same time. And I try to avoid that because I have a very bad habit of doing it. So I first read it, I read the whole contract, let's say, and that's the first top-down iteration. And when I'm done with all of that's when I try to, for example, I'm just going to use a very dumb example, ERC, ERC20 token. I read the whole contract and then I start copying. Let's say transfer is an external function. It's going to call the internal function underscore transfer. And I start copying all of these in Miro. I can, I think I can give you an example that a screenshot or I can even share with, share the board with you. And while I, while I take these snippets into Miro, I start noting stuff. Okay, just for a dump example, would be the recipient cannot be a zero address. It's going to revert if the amount is zero. Um, can only be called by owners. Has no slippage check, for example. When I have the notes after that, and I have the, like, the flow and the notes, then I start drawing. For example, I see the same variable that is used in like three three different places. I underscore that with a mural pencil or I just connect them with a wine or something like that. So I'm going to be able to figure what I was thinking yesterday when I look at that tomorrow. And any potential stuff that I I see like as a question or a, a, a vulnerability, because the first few days, I don't even think about vulnerabilities though. I'm like, I want to understand that very well. All the questions and potential bugs go into like a GitHub ripple where I'm having a conversation with myself. Could that happen? And then the next comment is like, it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue. Like, for example, can I become an owner of the contract? And then the comment is maybe I could if X, Y, Z. The next comment is no, you're dumb. That cannot happen at all. So yeah, I think I'm trying not to go too overboard with that. Yeah, no, I think that's a super valuable insight into how people work differently. I think the, the new approach in creating your own tree, it's a great way to go about it because things can get really messy when you have like 5,000 tabs open and you're trying to keep track of the execution flow and like switching tabs. So I think that approach is great actually. And why do you use GitHub instead of just like another note-taking app? Because I forked Spearbit's audit report template and I adapted that to my audit reports and it's very convenient for me to have everything at once. The GitHub repo is a single source of truth for the vulnerabilities, for the questions, you know, for my entire thought process. So yeah, I just like to... Another note-taking app is going to be like additional thing to think about. And I try to keep as few as possible because even the current setup is overboard and I'd rather not use uh, something. I went to I went through several iterations. I used Todoist. I don't know if you know that application. For mm -hmm. like my person, I pretty much run my life for Todoist. Tried to like put the auditing process there too it sucked didn't work at all it's like sleeping and doing other stuff in your bedroom at the same time so not a good idea so yeah just try stuff a lot of people are like should i do that way or another way i don't know just waste time and figure it for your own for example with diagramming i'm just gonna go side you know, off topic for for a second i tried so many stuff so many things i saw the powerpoint diagrams approach i saw the mermaid js approach Mermaid.js is nice, but if you have like a little bit of more contracts, you get like over the place connections and oros drying up everywhere. And I then tried an application or I think it's, yeah, it's 
to the right various application, a structurizer. It's like, again, a DSL, which is like for software architecture. And it's nice. It's very good, but it's too much time. And I still, what I walked at that point is, okay, I have a diagram. I have that contract. I have these state variables there, but I still need to read the code. So I find myself like going back and forth between VS Code and the diagram. VS Code, the diagram. All the, I have 25 tabs and the diagram. And it just didn't work for me. I probably waste like two weeks to figure that it didn't work for me, but now I at least know. So pretty much everything I do is like that. Yeah, I think everyone's going to have their different ideal workflow, yeah. right? And for some people, they, that works pretty well when they're looking, they're going back and forth from diagram to code. But for me as well, I think that doesn't work too well because all that context switching, those microseconds where you're switching tabs and look at you just stumble upon yourself multiple times. Yeah. I, for example, I like using Notion. I have my little template and that works well for me. Yeah. And I think Notion as well could be a, a great resource because it allows you flexibility to try and build whatever works for you and allows you to try different things without having to totally switch an application, if that makes sense. Yeah. Have you ever tried Notion? I use Coda. I don't know if Coda, it's like, it's Notion on steroids, pretty much. But uh, yeah, I just use it to run my life. Everything that I need to keep track of, like uh, subscriptions, expenses, pretty much my whole content management system is in Coda, like schedule, potential things that I want to write about. Everything is there, but it just didn't work for me to keep put my audit process there like the logistics for for quoting and communication with customers like a, a crm that's there but i'd rather like you know keep them separate like so yeah so what are the tools do you use in your stack how does your tool stack work in full so we have Miro for note-taking, obviously VS Code for, for reading the code. What about communication with the clients or even auditing itself? Yeah. Let's just split them each because I think that's going to be like best. So a disclaimer, I, I, I love Obsidian. Of course, unfortunately, it's not working for a lot of stuff I want to do. So I'm very table-based. I like tables and like ordering them and displaying them at different places. So that's the code and notion approach. So I use Obsidian as a markdown editor, pretty much. I write stuff there and I just delete it after that because it just, it's sexy enough for me. So that's just about the writing of the reports. I use Raycast heavily. I have, I have more than 1000 snippets, I think. And each snippet is like, for example, SHL is going to be like security high label, which is going to be just, I'm just going to send you what I mean. It's like a red badge, which is an image of high, like that's going to be a, a red badge of high findings. So I use Raycast a lot for repeatable stuff that I write. Even my emails, like best regards, my name is like underscore BR. <laughs> pretty much everything I repeat in any templates that come to your mind or with Raycast. Before we go ahead, can yeah. you give a, a brief explanation of what Raycast is? Raycast is an application for Mac that is a replacement for Light. It's, it has a lot of, it makes like the spotlight that is the native Mac command in space searcher or something that way more powerful. For example, if I write, if I open the Raycast and write R, I get all my recent VS Code projects. So I just open them like that. If I open it and click G, I just create an issue in the GitHub repository that I just told you about when auditing, like any questions, vulnerabilities, whatever. I just write it without getting, without going to the GitHub website because 
again, that's going to be like context switching. I'm going to open Chrome. I'm going to, it's at least for me more convenient. So, uh, yeah, even EVM codes, I just, just open Raycast and, and certain there trying to utilize it as much as possible. And the clipboard history is, is huge. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much about Raycast. Let me think about what else I used to do is to run my life. Another to a telegram for communication, the customers, discord, of course, I use type fully to schedule my tweets. VS code, we talked about that Miro and, and Coda. That's pretty much it. I think. Yeah. Awesome. And you post quite often. How do you manage to consistently get new idea for blog, blog posts and write them out while doing security and having your job? It's actually very easy. If you don't, if you, if today you sit down and you'll be like, what I'm going to write about, is there something that is going to be interesting for the people or the audience is going to like, then you're going to be in big trouble. It's going to take you a lot of time. What I usually do is, uh, I told you about Coda. So there I have a, a table that looks like uh, drafts. So I'm just going to open it and like uh, see some of my drafts right now. So it's going to make sense for you. So what's a Merkle tree, how to land so audit deals, what is the bridge and how it works. The, all these are like something that I told about at the time. And I was like, okay, I maybe write, I'm maybe going to write about it. I have a few hot takes, USDT history. I mean, what it's a two, 200 rows list, right? So when I just want to, generate any content i just look at that draft and it's like toads that i probably collected some stuff when i was researching for example about brc20 just another example so i just opened that and it's something that i already told about and something that i find interesting i never curate content and i'm gonna repeat that never create content that could be interesting for somebody it's first and foremost interesting for me and apparently just people are interested in that too. So that's, that's very nice, but except for a, a rare occasions that I wrote content for somebody else, I've never like written a blog post or a thread with the uh, intention of thinking it could be, that's going to go viral, except for the start when I was doing these find the book challenges, it was just my, I was just starting a Twitter and I was like, oh my God, I need to do that every single day because that's, that's what works. Nothing else works. So yeah, I spent just to, to wrap this up. I spent no more like than 35 minutes a day generating any kind of content. And just to be fair, the last month I barely generated any content because I just don't feel about it. And I don't feel, I don't, I don't force myself you need to do that. You need to post two times a day. You need to post. I didn't even write a, a, news, a, a newsletter uh, blog post the last one month. I just don't feel about it. And yeah, I just, yeah, I think that's the most pure and, and honest answer I could get about this. Yeah, I know. I love it. I think it's a great way to approach it because we as security researchers, we have a lot of questions that we have to answer on a daily basis. Yeah. So if you can just harness some of those and write about them as you would anyway to yeah. figure out whatever you need to figure out, it's an easy way to get some content. Yeah. And obviously that takes some time writing the content itself, plus doing the audits and you also have a full-time job. Uh, so how, how do you manage your time? Like, do you have any techniques for time optimization, for doing focus work. Yeah, gonna go, gonna go through that. But just a disclaimer before that, because I think that's fair, because I, I have experience in writing notes and stuff for myself for the past two or three years. I wrote about a lot of stuff for myself. So that's not something that I just weren't along the way the last three, four months. Most of my blog posts, I wrote them like literally for 
and I did all of them, sorry, for no more than a one hour, right? I had it outlined before that, and I just followed the flow when writing it. So if you are just getting started writing, do not expect the same. Do not expect like to to like it. You're gonna overthinking. You're gonna overthink it. You're gonna be like, is somebody gonna like that? So yeah, I just want to make that clear so people are not too harsh with themselves. Yeah, about managing time, I told you about Todoist. I use, and again, I went to through a lot of approaches, a lot of stuff. So what I do today is I have a document which is called Life OS, which stands for like Life Operational System. And I just have three tables there, like my schedule, AM, PM, and like some stuff that I need to do on each day, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Then I have three types of priorities, priority one, priority two, priority three. I'm just going to give you some examples. Let's say priority one is going to be audit, retrospective of the contest. I'm just going to keep it on topic, like for the, for our, like, I won't go like with other stuff that's not related to security. And then priority two could be like, take a look at emails, write, read a newsletter, reply to, to Twitter messages or open Twitter at all, like to take a look at notifications. And priority three could be like, Plan tomorrow, you know, go through to do his chores. And like these are just examples. I have like I think 10 of each priorities. So every evening I go, I, I just open my calendar, I look at the day, for example, AM, I have to do audits, I have to, you know, do something at work, I have to do a third thing. So I just open the calendar and block like two hours for that priority. But the thing is that each priority has like a bucket in my to-do list. So for example, today I was writing a newsletter for 30 minutes. That's a dumb example because I don't do that, but I think it's an easy one. And that's a priority to topic. So Today, I'm just going to outline or I'm just going to think about what I'm going to write. So once I'm done with what I'm doing, I'm in the full, right? I know what I need to do tomorrow. But if I don't make tasks for that in the Todoist bucket, tomorrow when I get into that, I won't know what I need to do. I'm going to have to spend like 20 minutes again to get in the flow and the context again. So that's why pretty much anything that comes to my mind and even dump stuff like buy milk, buy bread, call somebody, reply to somebody. I'm just looking at my to-dos right now. Buy tickets for DevConnect, apply for a speaker for TrustX, anything. I mean, anything is like in the bucket, in, the, in its respective bucket. So when I'm doing whatever that bucket is related about, let's say chores in that I have booked 30 minutes about, I don't do anything else like it's just one single thing nothing else so i think that's at least for a person like me who likes to go overboard procrastinate a lot that helps me to these 30 minutes that's what you're gonna do and nothing else so i think that's critical and vital in making me able to manage different things and i still have my bad moments the last two weeks have been very rough for me. I complete, I go, I went completely off with all my planning and stuff because I was in Paris, then I was in Greece. And when I get out of my routine, it's taking me some time to get back to it. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that makes sense. No one is a hundred percent like on track all the time. We all have things that come with us just life in general, it's really hard to keep a perfect streak on productivity. Yeah. I think it's impossible. So would you say that being a big procrastinator is what helped you to craft like the system yeah. to help you like get things done on proper time? Yeah. I mean, I figured a lot of people are like systems kill your creativity and stuff like that. 
that could be true. That could be true. But for me, it's just the only way I could operate. I have priority allocation, day specifics. Monday, I'm going to wake up at 4 a.m. Friday, I need to wake up at 4.30 because I need to do something at 9.30. And I, if I don't write that down, believe me or not, I'm going to forget it. I'm just going to be like, whatever. But when I write it down and I see it when I'm planning, another dumb example could be Saturday, I wake 3.30 because Saturday is supposed to be the day off for me. So I wake up super early. I do work too until like 10 a.m. And then I spend time with my family. I wake super early so I could like get stuff done while my, my kids and my wife are sleeping. If I don't write that down, maybe Friday I'm going to like, whatever. I mean, tomorrow is, I'm probably going to wake up like 5 a.m. instead of 3.30, which is a super weird, but that's how my brain works. That's how it is. Yeah, that's super crazy, actually. Yeah. But whatever works for you, it's what works for you. So yeah. if you're listening to this and thinking, this guy is crazy, yeah. well, this guy is not you. So yeah. just do whatever works for you. Yeah. And I think that helps a lot of like adjusting your trajectory in order to keep progress. Because if you have everything down pat or like what you need to do at a certain time, how much time you could spend in a task and just always reorganize things as things show up. Yeah. And that kind of leads me to like a related question. Like how did you adjust your approach and keep track of your progress through all of this? Yeah. I just, that question makes me realize I missed uh, an application that I use timing. It's, I track my time. Like I, as I'm working in a service company and my boss wants me to track every single second I spend on whatever. So I, I try, so two things, I track my efforts, my time, and I, I journal a lot. For example, I have a daily note. The daily note is going to be like morning thoughts, nightly thoughts, just reflecting like how do i feel today how i feel when i finish the day am i happy with myself so i use these notes one time a week each saturday is my saturday morning is my personal reflection routine let's say that way i just go through the week and observe my feelings and thoughts at the time because Usually, I don't know about you, but like about a Saturday, I pretty much forgot how I felt about on, let's say, Monday or Tuesday or even Wednesday. I'm just like that. When I wake up from it, it's a completely new day. No questions asked about yesterday. I could be in very bad mood yesterday, but today I wake up like a new person. Life is way better. So I just take a look at that and make a, that, that helps me make a, a good retrospective of how am I really doing instead of how do I feel I'm doing on Saturday because I'm very harsh with myself. I try to optimize for a lot of stuff, which leads to like constant optimizations, let's say, which are, it's not a good, 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 good thing to be super harsh on you. So that's how I reflect and improve on my mood and well-being. How do I keep up with and optimize with, let's say I allocate one hour for audits, right? How do I know I actually spend one hour on audits? I use timing, which is an application for Mac again. And I have like separate projects there. C4 scouting, audit like uh, chain link, just, just an example, content generation. So all of that gets into my coda, all, all my documents. And then I have a dashboard, which kind of shows me how much time I spend on what. And I compare that with what I actually allocated. And if it didn't work out as I expected, I'm just asking questions. Why? What happened? Did I just feel bad? It was just a bad day. But I try not to like kick myself because I, I have a very bad habit of doing that. And it gets very bad when it's when it happens for too long. So, and I... Yeah, I think... Maybe last thing is I mean, like, you... I, I just try 
a lot of new stuff. I'm open to trying anything new I see and experiment with it and waste some time to see if it's good enough. I think the weekly reflection is really cool. I think people will get a lot out of that. I thought about doing it before, but I just always lose track of it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the hard part is I could go further. So I have like weekly reflection too. I have quarterly reflection. I have monthly reflection. I have like my daily template looks like I have three focus goals for today. I need to do one, two, three. That's if I do that, today is, is good. I have focus goals for the week. For example, I need to audit X. I need to write one thread. I'm just pulling off stuff. Outline a thread, outline a newsletter, write a newsletter. These are the goals for the week. And then the goals for the quarter. I need just, I'm just again going to pull whatever arbitrary examples, reach mm -hmm. 10,000 subscribers, make three audits, go to the gym five times a week instead of four, spend quality instead of quantity time with kids and wifey. I was going to ask, I'm not sure if there's a good way to do it, but if you were open to, I think it would be really cool if you would like share one of the organizations templates you have on Quora or like any other apps, I think we'll that do. would be we'll interesting. Yeah. We'll do. Never told somebody might be interested actually, but I, sounds good. We'll do it. Awesome. And when you're doing a contest, obviously you always have to choose between what contest you want to do. So what are the criteria that you take in consideration? <laughs> I'm gonna, my answer is gonna be something that I've never done so far because I know what's the right decision. It's though I've never in the past, it, I think it's where I was Dwight John. I think it's, uh, yeah, I've, I haven't done any, done that in three months. But if I'm gonna pick a contest, I'm probably gonna pick something that, that is smaller because, for example, Tapioca or Maya Dao could have very good rewards, but I'd rather not invest myself for one month in a single audit. I like to go through different stuff, at least for now. I mean, I have the luxury of saying no and doing whatever I want. So I'd rather do, let's say, more than one audit for that month. But at least for me, the primary factor would be something that had previous audits or is like a very good written protocol, uh, I would, yeah, probably go with that. I wouldn't go with, let's say, I, uh, let's say Rubicons. I don't want to, you know, put them on the spot, but I think they had like 1000 issues, just dilutes, dilutes the reward and makes the, the reading and the retrospective after that very tough, which is something I do not like. I mean, when, when I see a lot of like vulnerabilities that I know everybody else is going to find, common sense is like ignore them, but I just, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to add that to the report because of course it's going to be like plus one, but then I cannot just ignore it. So I'd rather have something that is more structured, potentially more tough, potentially I get nothing. If I get something, it's going to be, it's going to be huge. Yeah. I think it's an interesting approach and definitely a valid one because more and more when you see like an unsafe transfer it's a waste of time to report that but at the same time it, you don't want to lose the habit to report important findings yeah so it's a two-edged sword i guess yeah and besides increasing your skills doing contests can also be a good way to build a brand and you've been, you have one post about building a brand. So what do you mean when you say building a brand? What is your vision for building a brand? Yeah. What are you trying to achieve with those blog posts and like doing contests? Yeah. Awesome question. Thank you. So how do I feel about it? So I don't want, I don't want to build a company. I don't want to hire somebody to work for me. I don't want that. Or like build a, let's say a DAO for audits. 
I don't want to do that. I don't want to manage people for and have them do work for me. I could, for example, work with you on a project and then we just part ways until the next project and then we split evenly. That's one thing. But I, I don't want to, for example, manage you and you, you work for me. So that's I how I feel about the brand is my name, right? So people are going to no bites for what he's doing and they could reach out to him for an audit for advice getting started whatever they want it's going to be just a name that's going to be recognized as a single person like i'm going to try to build a niche around me instead of following the classic niche i can give you a a good example of building niche is Instead of everybody, a lot of people have thought about, I want to do a security company, right? That's a niche. That's something that's a way that a, a, a dozen people, or dozens have already went through. I'd rather have my way of experimenting and doing things on my own and sharing stuff as I go and build that brand. That's what I mean by brand. Maybe the better word is niche, but like it could also, you could also think about it as a community too, but like connect with like-minded people and network with like-minded people. And like, eventually when sharing what I know, because I legitimately share pretty much most of the stuff I know. I believe like customers, that, that, that's why clients are going to seek to work with me. Even if it's for an audit or like I answer like a lot of I'll answer for free, a lot of DMs in Twitter. Is that the best way of doing X, Y, or Z? I don't want to monetize every single piece of that. I like being involved and that's part of the brand. I think... Sam from Paradigm, he's a very good example of brand, right? He's working for Paradigm, but he's a brand for what he's doing. So I think that's without ranting too much because I could continue. I think that's... You, you can continue. Yeah. I'm happy to okay. hear more about it. Yeah. Okay. So what I most love about having your own brand is like, for example, the next three years, I could love security, right? I could like, I, I love it right now, but for example, in the fourth year, I could be like, I want to become a, I want to just build now. I want to write code 20 hours, 12 hours a day, right? And I can shift all I've did before to that, right? It's gonna, my, my previous experience, my previous knowledge, my previous audience, my previous name, I'm going to carry that into the next thing that I do. So that's invaluable. And I think with years, that's something that compounds a lot. It's completely different to scaling a, a career and getting the next promotion. You're, if you're doing that with intent about the future and something that could be in like 10 years, eventually you're going to get a powerhouse. The, the key thing here is, do you really want to do that? I mean, it's taking a lot of time and it's not a nine to five job. I, I don't take days off. I Before Paris in, in the DeFi Security Summit, I had a baby. My, my second child came in April. I took 10 days off. And from then on, I didn't have a single day off until mid-July. <laughs> if you want to do... If you don't want to do that, ask your question. I mean, yeah, do you, do you really want to do that? So yeah, pretty much. I look at that something, but something for the future. I'm acquiring skills that are interesting to me at the time. I'm fine with always learning new stuff. I'm fine with spending time on things that might waste my time from one perspective, 
But from my perspective, I'm becoming a, a jack of all trades on steroids, right? Because I could do end-to-end pretty much the whole stuff. I mean, stuff is probably the wrong word. The whole set of things that I would need to sell a product, sell a service, or educate somebody for free. I could market, I could write, I could speak, I could do work. So, yeah, I may sound, I don't know, too futuristic, but at some point, when I when I fed up with working, I would probably just, I just want to spend time kind of helping people realize their potential. I just need to have the financial comfort. I needed that when I was younger, so I would appreciate if somebody is there to do that for me without thinking how he could monetize me. So yeah, we just talked about brand about security, but you could see how it flows out into so many directions that are basically my interests. I'm interested in psychology. I'm interested in uh, spirituality and kind of, I wouldn't say too much religion, but yeah, spirituality as a whole. I'm interested in writing. I'm interested in politics. I'm interested in reading. I don't write about that, but it shapes who I am. So one way or another, it's part of my brand. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a very good way to approach life in general, thinking long-term and building yourself in that perspective. Definitely pays off more dividends than trying to get as much money as you can by monetizing everything in the moment. So I think that's a, a great approach to do things, especially if you have the discipline and the skills to go with it as well. Um, any skill is obtainable if you are uh, fine going through the misery and suffering to obtain it. When I was starting writing, I, I was absolutely the best writer you could ever see. I've never written an essay in my life. I was the worst writer in school and I was, yeah, I just sucked at that. I just spent months grinding trades. So anybody can do anything, I think, if he wants to. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of anybody doing anything, we have a lot of very, let's say, talented security researchers, very, people that are very good at this craft. Is there anyone in particular that you look up to the most or any favorite exploit or book report you've read, like some, something that made you really uh, appreciate someone or their skill? Well, let me think about it. I think the, my, my favorite exploit is the, I think the, he, he, he had 8 million from Immunify. I think that's my favorite one because I think it was Moon River on Polkadot system something related to that. I think what I loved about it is the guy was like, no, I didn't have a lot of experience before that. I'm coming from Web2 security and I just applied what I know there. Uh, he could be like, I studied DVM for five years before that. I prepared whatever. He was just completely honest. And the, the vulnerability is like very... You could see it in today, in 2023, it could be obvious. But then when he found it, it was a very delicate thing. And Riptides, Arbitrum's finding is very nice too. I just like stuff like that where we really have to dive deep or and have a little bit of work to be there, like life work, I mean. So yeah, these are my kind of, these types are my favorite. If I had to pick one person, I'm probably going to pick, let me think, it's tough. I'm, 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 I'm unprepared. Yeah, it's, a, it's a tough question. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm unprepared, but I think, so I think even though I didn't have the time to speak with him, I was just completely bombarded by the fact that apparently everybody wanted to speak with me. And I mean, and not everybody, but all people wanted to speak with me and defy security summit and I didn't have to enough time to speak with him specifically. I think the person that I look up the most is Tincho. I just, I just love what they are doing, like the securing Ethereum for the public good. That's a tough thing to do. I mean, you're 
pretty much sacrificing a lot of, let's say, I'm just going to discount money completely because they're sacrificing a lot of money. That's the first thing. But they're literally doing that because they care. And that's probably the thing that is enough for me to put him in the top for me. And again, unfortunately, I was like, I want to meet these guys. I didn't. But next time. It's weird that I look up to them, but I didn't mean that I had the chance to. But uh, I, that's... They are like the red guild. The things they are doing are absolutely the top for me. And from now on, I mean, a lot of people that I, I admire and I, I would say literally love what they are doing, Kristoff, Listwood, Hiccup, I mean, all the regular faces there that I probably just recognize. We had, had some awesome conversations, for example, with 100 Pro from, in Paris. The funny thing is that with most of them, I didn't have technical conversations, just like wife, wife is wife stuff, which I loved. And with, with Alex too, trust about him talking about how his life so far is real, etc. So yeah, the, pretty much the people I admire in security, I'm realizing I probably don't really re admire them just for their security work or like the other stuff that's just part of them too. Dravi, for example, that guy literally gave me a lot of confidence, helped me a lot in my, me being a security researcher today, saying that I admire him only because, yeah, he's, a, he's part of the reason I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing today, just because he was there when I had dumb questions to ask, when I just needed some help, somebody to speak with, like my, literally my only Web3 security friend. So it's yeah, just the question that is, I mean, the way the question phrased, like admiring security because they like yeah, awesome skills. Yeah, even he has awesome skills and I, and he helped me learn a lot of stuff, but I pretty much admire him for a lot of other stuff primarily too. Yeah, Drivi is a great guy for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, I like him a lot as well. And a lot of people, they would love to get in touch with experienced security researchers. But there's only a handful of these. And they can't give out their time to everyone equally, right? Yeah. So what would you suggest for beginners help? How do you think they can put themselves in a position where people are willing to help them. The, the security space is super cooperative and helpful. So I think probably in, a, in our space, it's easier to get in touch with top folks. But I would say the first and foremost, at least for me, when I'm trying to, when I was trying or when I'm trying to approach somebody is like ask something with a value. Well, it would be them to ask, for example, I, I regularly ask some judges in Colorina, can you help me understand why, why is that a medium? Why it's not a, a critical, but why it's not a, a QA, for example, apologies. But I believe that when I was, when I'm writing my reports, I spend time on them, they're, they have their level of quality. So if I brought up shitty reports, when I ask somebody that's reviewing my report, he'll be like, I don't care about you. But when you lead that conversation with value beforehand, you are more likely to get an answer. First thing. And the second thing is do not ask stuff that is commonly available. I think that's very important. If you want to be a security researcher and you don't know how to get started, just going to be honest, maybe it's not the right field for you. And the third thing is just be authentic, be yourself. Do, you mean not, do not send compliments or do not show interest in somebody just for the sake of doing that. You could do that, I mean, you could try to get an answer without doing these things just from the securium 
mentors channels. A lot of people they are ask, answering questions. Awesome security researchers and a lot of people that are just gonna. I mean, names in the space, right? That's pretty much enough. So yeah, if you're not authentic, I think everybody is gonna is gonna figure out on the spot. So and that, given we're not a big community, I think it's pretty much done for you, at least for the relationship with that specific person. I, I just have a very sensitive shit sense and I kind of sense that very far away from general messages. So could be could not be the case with somebody else, but at least for me. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a good message. I think it it makes sense. You have an anonymous brand, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. But you're not like other people in the space, like let's say Michelle, which has their name on display. Um, so I guess my question is, why are you anonymous and why do you choose to remain anonymous? Um, just one thing before that, I think Christoph has an anon. Uh, he mentions that in his blog. So uh, point to consider. Um, yeah, so I started as anon for uh, one specific reason. Where I work at, I very much feel the people that I work with is like my family. I mean, I we've worked in, in various companies together. So when I was getting started with security, I was just very, you know, fed up with my job. I, but I couldn't leave, right? I could be like, I can't be like, fuck off, I'm leaving. Because I know, for sure there are going to be consequences in, in the company because we're not a big company. So I was like... I'm gonna start as an anon for that first and second because I was like, I'm not sure if I wanna, it's gonna be contradicting, right? I'm gonna contradict myself right now, but I was like, I'm not sure if I wanna let them know I'm doing something else because I was prejudging stupidly that for example nobody is going to be like oh he's working in the morning instead i was assuming even though we have a very good relationship i was assuming like they're gonna be like oh he's swacking he's not working and that's why he's doing that because it's hard to believe until you see it with your eyes that somebody could for example wake up at 4 a.m to do something before his job and then work his job at full capacity so that's the primary reason i i did that Today, you know, 11th of August, they know that, so it's it's off to my chest. It's fixed. But uh, yeah, that's the main reason why I keep it like that today. <clears throat> Before Paris, I didn't realize the or didn't I discounted the fact that Twitter could potentially, I mean, I discounted the fact that I have like 10,000 followers. For me, that's nothing. I mean, I see people with 100,000, 1 million, whatever, but just because our space is in Paris, the, I didn't attend the third day because the second day I lost my voice, I got sick, but I had a lot of people like, hey, is that you? And I love that. They love me. Like, I, I appreciate that. Don't take me wrong. But when you are out there with your face, it's just tough, at least for me. I'm, a, I'm a, that type of person. I like to take things one step at a time. And it just, if I show up with my face everywhere, the next time I go, everybody is going to be aware. Whereas on the other hand, right now, they're going to figure anyway, because a lot of people know me already but it's gonna be like more slow and steady right so yeah i think that's that's these these two are the only reasons i mean i'm doxed a lot of people know where i am my name even the city i live in how i look right so it's i'm not alone anymore just like a, a pseudo let's say do you think there are pros to being fully doxxed and having your face out there like what would you say are the pros and cons to having it being anonymous versus being not anonymous 
Oh, uh, we've spoke about that in Paris, I think. Especially huge bounties. If I find a huge bounty, I would probably not submit it, my handle. That's for sure. <laughs> Especially where I live in. <laughs> I wouldn't submit it, like, with, with my face and with my name. So, yeah, it very much... Like, except for that, I don't think there are any cons. Like, in what I've mentioned previously, like, everybody knowing you and something that's part of your personality. It's just that I cannot say no somebody. Even if I share the same story with 20 people before you, if you come and like, oh, is that you, Bites? I like you. I like you. I like your work. I'm going to try, even no matter how tired I am, I'm going to do my best to treat you with the respect and time that I spent for everybody before you. So that's exhausting. It just takes time and energy and, and it's mentally tough. So especially in, in huge meetups, that's tough. At least I felt it tough this time. So beside these two, I don't, I don't know if there are any other cons. And pros to being a non, if you're a real non though, and you want to shit post in Twitter and a lot of, I, I know, not a lot of, but I know plenty of bounties also need KYC. So getting that money with being completely non is still a Probably at least immunifies you want to know who you are. So yeah, I would say the probably the biggest pro for being an honest hiding huge wad of money and being able to if you want to do that, shit on everybody in Twitter without uh, caring they know who you are. If you want to do that. Maybe it's a stupid take, but that's how I feel about it. Yeah, no, I don't think this is a stupid take. I think these are very valid points, especially the bounties or just in general, high earners. Because there's, I think there's pros to not being anonymous as in just being recognizable has this like a good effect. Yeah. Like it's probably easier for you to go and talk to certain people in certain events. Let's say, think you knew who you are. But at the same time, you don't want to be seen as a target. Like, oh yeah, I made like yeah. a gazillion dollars this year. Um, come and take my money. Yeah, I I actually like the. It's just part of I. It's just part of who I am. But I like of having the luxury to like, for example, if I didn't know you, but I I saw you. If you haven't met met each other, but for example, I see you somewhere and I know that's you. I like having the luxury of taking a few breaths first and like, then I come to you, hey, I'm Bites, instead of, oh, my, my man, if we meet first time. Yeah, I think that's a good point as well, because it, it lets you see people for who they are. Yeah. If you're, if they just think you're some random guy and then they treat you nice, then you know they're nice. Yeah. But if they just look at you and then talk to you, you're like, oh. Yeah. Not sure if that person is someone I actually want to hang out with. Yeah, I mean it's it's a hard truth. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure having a chat with you, and I'm excited to see things you do in the future and how you continue to build a brand and help people in the space, man. Likewise, I had an awesome time speaking with you. I liked the, the nature of feeling about it, of, of it. So I still appreciate it for uh, having me. Thank you.